0: Ready, Showman? Seen the movie? Seen the movie? All right, so Sandy and I went uh, to see this. Just uh, to be clear, I'm not a big fan of musicals. Uh, As a matter of fact, the first musical that Sandy and I went to see, uh, she tricked me into seeing, and I remember leaning over to her early in the movie and whispering to her, when are they going to stop singing? And she said, they're not, it's a musical. (sighs) I was just thankful I had popcorn. So, uh, But to be clear, I am a Hugh Jackman fan, uh, more, uh, more Hugh Jackman with Claws, but, uh, but I, I like him in this as, as well. I, I admit I liked this movie. So, by the way, my name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here at MCC. If this is your first time with us, really glad that you've joined us. And if you're watching online, uh, thanks for joining us there. Uh, and I hope, listen, I hope we can be the place where you feel safe to figure out who Jesus is uh, and who he's gonna be in your life. And if you've already figured that out, and you're looking for a community of believers where you can grow in your faith and serve others and help other people uh, begin their relationship with Jesus, we hope that, that this will be that place for you. Uh, as a matter of fact, next week, uh, next Sunday morning at 9.30, during this hour, I'll be teaching a class called First Step, and if you've never been to that, I want to encourage you to come. Uh, we talk a little bit about who we are here and what your role in that can be, uh, and so I hope you'll join us for that. If you would, uh, on, the, uh, on the bulletin, on the handout, also online you can register. If you've got the app open right now, the YouVersion Bible app, you should see a uh, an opportunity to register at the bottom of that. So, listen, you've picked a great Sunday to be here. Today, we kick off our summer at the movie series. And over the next few weeks, we're going to see what God has to say right from his word. And we're going to use movies that have come out this year, a couple that have yet to come out. They're going to come out uh, during this series uh, to see what God has to say to us. The greatest showman is based on the life of anyone know P.T. Barnum, right? Based on the life means there really was a guy named P.T. Barnum. Uh, that's really all that that means. Uh, the movie tells how uh, Phineas Taylor Barnum, an American showman, a politician, uh, as well as a businessman, he founded the Barnum & Bailey Circus. And the movie highlights his drive to be successful, uh, to be accepted by all levels of society so we chose the greatest showman to begin this series because today is also grad sunday here at mcc and almost all of us my guess is almost all of us if not all of us when we graduated high school when we graduated from college success really is what we were chasing i mean we wanted to we didn't go so we could fail we went so we could be successful uh, in life and so god wants that for us too so look at Jeremiah 29, 11. It'll be on the screen. It's on the handout you received. Again, the Bible app, YouVersion Bible app. You can find it there. But God speaking to the Israelites in the Old Testament uh, said this. I believe he wants this for us as well. I will bless you with a future filled with hope, a future of success, not of suffering. Jesus in the New Testament would say as well, uh, the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. And so part of what I want to make sure we get Old Testament, New Testament, is we look at what God has said to his people. Does this sound like God wants to hold us back? Does this sound like God wants you to become all you have been created to be? And really, what, what parent doesn't want their children to succeed? And if an earthly parent wants their children to succeed, how much more so a heavenly father wants his children to succeed? But there are some uh, potential problems that come with success. I put those on your notes. Really want to make sure you get these. Here's the first one The problem isn't that we become a success, it's when success becomes who we are. So we need to make that distinction right away because our culture paints this picture for us of what a successful uh, life looks like. And then we have to work to put ourselves into that picture. So we work to have the right look, the right clothes, the right car. We live in the right home, in the right neighborhood. We go to the right school so we can get the right job, achieve the right position, make the right salary, hang with the right group. And that, in turn, enhances the right image. If you ever want to see this in action, go to a class reunion for your high school or your college and see what people are talking about. I heard about a woman who went back to her Uh, hometown for her 40th class reunion when she gets to the hotel ballroom she looks in the room and she sees all these old people sitting around she thinks to herself this I must have this can't be the right room so she asks the old wrinkled guy by the door excuse me but is this the class of 1978 he says well yeah it is she goes well this must be my class after all he goes really what did you teach As if my worth is not found in my possession, my worth is not found in my reputation, my worth is not found in my title, my worth is not found in the attaboys I get or the trophies I collect or everyone telling me how important I am to the organization I work for. That's not where our self-worth is found. Here's the, uh, uh, the second potential problem with success. God wants you to be a a success. The problem is God's definition of success and the world's definition of success are two different things. This is God's. I don't have to be the best. I just just want to be my best for the glory of God. That's his definition of of success. Your best for the glory of God. So Solomon would write this, Old Testament, book of Ecclesiastes, then I observed that most people are motivated to to success By the envy of their neighbors. So, the message that many of us hear is when the bell goes off, right, the starter pistol fires, we have to do whatever it takes to blow by our classmates, to blow by our coworkers, to blow past our teammates, our family, uh, our neighbors, to be bigger and smarter and stronger and faster and richer and higher and, and better than anyone else. And we've seen people, maybe people close to you, maybe you. who say, who live their lives as if they say, I don't care what it costs. I don't care how many long hours it takes. If I have to work seven days a week, doesn't matter if it costs me my health, my marriage, my relationship with my kids, even my soul. I I don't care. I will pay whatever price is necessary. I will compete. I will perform, produce, earn, accumulate, and win until I'm appreciated, accepted, and admired. That's when I'll be somebody. So let me ask you this. Is it wrong to be the best? Is it wrong to be the best? No, no, you can be, you just, you just don't have to be, is what God is saying, all right? Is it wrong to sit at the top? Is it wrong to be in the big chair, top dog, big cheese? No, you, don't, you just don't have to be. You can be, you just don't have to be. God's measurement of success isn't that you sit at the top doing better than everyone else. God's measurement of success is, are you doing your best to his glory? Not your glory, but to his glory. You don't have to prove anything to God. Your being the best doesn't make him love you more. Your not being the best doesn't mean that he'll love you less. As a matter of fact, it's when we forget that, that success can begin to be the problem. That's why we have to stay anchored in the love of God. The one who says to you, hey, you're my kid. <laughs> I-, I love you because you're my kid, right? You, uh, and that's all you need. I love the wisdom of Dr. Seuss, on your notes, he says, you have brains in your head, you have feet in your shoes, you can steer yourself any direction you choose. You're on your own. You know what you know, and you are the one who will decide where to go. So how do you decide that? Graduating high school, graduating college, when you graduate, how do you know? Three lessons from the greatest showman about how to make the right decisions about the direction that you'll go in life. Are you ready? Here's the first one. If you're going to make a great decision about the direction and success of your life, you need to know who your audience is, right? Know the audience. Who are you playing for? Who are you trying to impress? In Colossians three, Paul would write this to the early church: Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as though you were working for the Lord and not for people. So, to be very practical uh, at this moment, just to make sure we're all on the same page, is your boss right? Is your boss going to be God or a person? Your your boss at work is is your boss is is your boss not a person? I mean let's let's be real. I'll acknowledge that. What Paul is saying is not that your boss isn't a person, but as a follower of Jesus, do what you do to honor him. Because when you honor him, listen, you honor your boss. Your work ethic should honor Jesus. Your integrity should honor Jesus. The way you treat customers or other employees or your boss should should honor Jesus and His kingdom, if whatever you do next, your point, you point your efforts at pleasing God, you should be the best employee that your business has, the best boss your business has, the best student the school has. doesn't mean you 'll get all A 's. just means you'll be the best student there. This was, by the way, a major theme, if you haven't seen it. this is a major theme in the movie, because initially, Barnum worked to impress the masses. He was just trying to impress as many people as he can, but somewhere in the middle of the movie. He decides he wants to impress the next level up. He wants to impress the upper crust of society. I don't know if you felt this or not, but sometimes life can feel like an endless loop of performances, right, in front of a crowd that might be cheering us or booing us. We are surrounded by an audience that's full of opinions, and they're more than willing to share with us uh, their likes on Facebook or on Twitter when they retweet, right, what you have said, or thinly veiled advice they like to give us. If we are not careful, we can become addicted to pleasing people around us. It's not new. Paul would write this to the church in Galatia. Does this sound as if I'm trying to win human approval? No, indeed. What I want is God's approval. Am I trying to be popular with people? If I were still trying to do so, I would not be a servant of Christ. Listen, people-pleasing is dangerous, In Romans chapter eight, uh, Paul would write this. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be uh, against us? If God is your audience, if you're playing for an audience of one and he is for us, who can be against us? So someone said it like this. If God is for us, who can be against us? Not the 7.6 billion people who live on our globe. If God is for us, who can be against us? Not the 326.8 million people who live in the United States. If God is for us, who can be against us? Not the 11.66 million people who live in the state of Ohio. If God is for us, who can be against us? Not the 535,153 people who live in Montgomery County. If God is for us, who can be against us? Not the 20,181 people who live in Miamisburg. And if that's true, why do we get tripped up by the three people who don't like us on Facebook? Right? If God is for us, who can be against us? In the Old Testament, he said this, God said this to the Israelites. Let not the wise man boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But, but let him, let the one who boasts, boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Listen, a reminder to our students who are graduating, a reminder to all of us in the room. God is the only one in the audience that matters when it comes down to it. And we don't have to chase his approval because he loves to give it to you if you'll accept it. Here's the second lesson. Be confident in who you've been created to be. I need to be confident in who I have been created by God to be. Uh, Paul wrote this in Ephesians chapter 2. We've looked at this before. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This word, handiwork, we translated into English as handiwork. The Greek literally means uh, a handcrafted, it means poem. So you are God's handcrafted piece of art, one of a kind, custom designed, original masterpiece, is what that verse is telling us. You know, one of the quotes uh, in the movie, P.T. Barnum said this, nobody ever made a difference by being like everyone else. And there is a song uh, from the movie that is maybe the most easily recognized song from the movie uh, that reminds us of this. So check out just a piece of it here. I am not a stranger to the dark.
1: Those words
0: wanna cut me down? I'm gonna sing a blood, gonna drown a mind. I am brave, I am bruised, I am who I'm meant to be. This is me. So now, cause here I cut I don't know if you've heard that on the radio or not. Man, it just gets in your head. I will be so glad when I'm done talking about this movie because it has been stuck in my head for weeks now. This is me. Listen, can I tell you, you don't need a song to tell you that. God has already proven to you how special you are, especially to him because you began when one cell from your mom went, you know, was found by one cell from your dad. And if you're paying attention in biology class, each of those cells carries 23 chromosomes. They merge into a single cell, and then they merged in, when they merged into one, they began to write a brand new DNA. They used four characters, nucleotides. They began to write out three billion character description of who you are, by the way, written in the language of God. Those three billion characters described who you were supposed to be. So if I were to take your DNA and read it one character at a time, it would take 96 years to read a description of you. And then those two cells got together and they began to write out this story that had never been written before in all of humankind, set out to do the impossible, set out to build the model that the plan had said from that one cell. You've come a long way from that one cell, I just want to say. So this is what you look like when you were three days old. Most of us, we could have all been twins, triplets, whatever, uh, because we all look pretty similar in our mother's womb. Eight cells on the pin of a safety pin, head of a safety pin, 75 trillion cells that make you up. Every cell has the same DNA. Augustine would say this. I think it's on your notes. Men go abroad to wonder at the heights of mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of the rivers, at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motion of the stars, and yet they pass by themselves without ever wondering. At five months in the womb, one million optic nerve endings left your brain, and one million optic nerve endings left your eyes, and they met, and they had to match perfectly. And when they did, you had sight. Still today, the most technologically advanced equipment on earth are your eyes. God, who created the universe, fashioned you. He knows your name, and he loves you. God would say this, I have loved you with an everlasting love. It's just a reminder. So my, my confidence doesn't have to come from what I accomplished my, or my calmness in a tense situation. It doesn't come from the number of loads of laundry I get done or the number of repairs I make around the house or the number of awards or uh, you know, uh, 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 trophies that I get. I stand anchored in the one who tells me, again, in case you missed it the first time, hey, You're my kid. You're my kid. I love you. Be who you were made to be. God loves that person. Hosanna Poetry wrote this. I'm going back to the source, not the words I've allowed, not the people I've allowed to represent him to me, but the literal tangible words that he has written down for me. In John 15, he calls me friend. In 1 Thessalonians 1, he calls me chosen. In Ephesians 2, he calls me his art. Handmade, original masterpiece. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, he calls me the temple of his Holy Spirit. In Galatians 3, he calls me his child. In Romans 5, he calls me greatly loved. And in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, when I belong to him, I have become something brand new in my life. That's who God says that you are. You know, I like looking at pictures of our graduates growing up. It's one, by the way, if, if you're a graduate here or going to be or have been, listen, it's one of the best parts of your graduation party, just so you know, looking at the pictures of you from the time you were little, little, little to the time that you uh, are at your age now. I love that part of the graduation party, and I love that it's part of our celebration today of our graduates, so check these pictures out. Our, yeah, yeah. We've asked our graduates to be here next hour because obviously 9:30 is way too early uh, for high school graduate. Um, and so next hour, we get to we will be surrounding them with those who have poured into their lives and praying for them in this service. And so really looking forward to that. And if you are one of those people who have poured into their lives, thank you for what you have done and how you have helped them to become who God has created them to be. Okay, there's one more lesson uh, that we want to learn about success from The Greatest Showman. Here's it. If you want to be successful, you need to learn to shine the spotlight on other people, which, by the way, is pretty much opposite of what the world tells us about how to be successful, correct? Shine the spotlight not on yourself but on someone else. It's interesting in the film, P.T. Barnum pulls together people out of the shadows of society. We see the movie tells us that he sees something beautiful in them, before they see it in themselves, and he actually calls them natural wonders. And at the end of the movie, a quote flashes up on the screen that I love. P.T. Barnum said, The noblest art is that of making others happy. Which kind of reflects what Paul wrote to the church in Rome when he said, Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. So just check this out. According to this, how do we love someone deeply? How do we do this? What do we do? We practice what? Okay. How do we love our friends deeply? We practice what? (laughs) Playing second fiddle. Right, right, right. So that's how we do it. We take the spotlight off of us and we put it on someone else. I don't know if you saw this in the news or not last month. My daughter sent me this story. Rob Pitts, who's a 16-year Indiana police officer for the Terre Haute and Sullivan Police Departments, was killed in the line of duty. When he, uh, when he was shot by a 21-year-old suspect, he was responding to a call. When his 5-year-old son, Dakota Pitts, returned to school for the first time afterwards, as a matter of fact, it was just three weeks ago tomorrow, that he returned to school, he asked his mom if one of his dad's friends could drive him to school. When he arrived uh, at school that day, there were 70 Indiana police officers waiting outside to give Dakota his very own police escort to school. Five years old, dad killed in the line of duty. He's wearing his dad's police badge. The officers also gave him his very own SWAT t-shirt and a badge upon arrival to school because they wanted Dakota to know they had his back. So here's the question. Would you consider those officers successful that day? Well, we don't even know if they made any arrests. Are you sure? Because they didn't make any arrests. I'm not even sure they pulled over a speeder that day. We don't don't know that. Uh, Maybe they did. But was it Would you consider them a success, perhaps because they shine the spotlight on someone else? And I'm just saying, I'm not sure that this is how the world will define success for you. But if you will live this way, if you will play your life to an audience of one above all others, if you will remember who God has created you to be, you. Who you've been created to be, not the person next to you, not this other person you've been reading about, how he created you uniquely in the history of mankind. There's no one like you. If you will shine the spotlight on others, you will have succeeded in this life. And I'm telling you, you will leave this place better than when you came. I just want to encourage you with that. Paul said this, just a reminder, love from the center of who you are don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. So if this is your first time here, this is we just naturally go from the message into a time of communion, a time when we remember the one whose birth divides time, right? Before Jesus and in the year of our Lord, B.C. and A.D., Not only who who has divided time, he's changed the history of mankind, and he's changed our future, whose name is still spoken today and whose life is still the model for our own good. Paul said this about him when he wrote to the church in Philippi, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. As a matter of fact, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset that Jesus has, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself becoming, by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross as we go into our time of communion today, can I just tell you, there is no secret to success. It's not secret at all. We celebrate the path to success every week, and we do it again today. And graduates, we honor you by pointing you to the one we all live to honor who gave his life for our sins because he considered your life and my life Worth the cost. Let's go to him in prayer. God, thank you for this time that we get to just be drawn back. We get to remember who has changed our lives and what it is about him that changed us and is continuing to change us even today. His birth not only divides history, we see a dividing line in our own lives, who we were before Jesus and who we are becoming because of Jesus. And so God, as we hold these symbols of Jesus's body and blood in our hand, and as we take them to remind us of the terrible cost that was paid because of our sin, not because of something he'd done, but because of what we have done. So we had this price that we could not afford to pay. And so Jesus stepped up and paid it for us because he he thought more of us than, we think, than, than, than he thought of himself. He gave himself for our sake. And so, God, today we honor you and we remember the audience of one that we all live for as we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. So we pray that you will be honored by the way we take this today. And we pray it in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.